always be your best. It gets back to what I just said, right? When you think you are doing your best, what's going to go outside the box? What's going to think outside the box? You know, what's the next best thing? How are you going to continue to elevate yourself and the organization and what you're doing and taking us to the next level? Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where founders and business leaders talk about how they built a company culture that is so incredible, their employees brag about it. Our show aims to inspire you as you build a Bragworthy culture of your own. Culture building is philosophical and practical, and you'll find both discussed here. Grab a pen and a notebook. We're about to drop some knowledge. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us. Here's your host, Cassandra Rose. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Bragworthy Culture. I am your host, Cassandra Rose. I am the head of people here at Fringe, and I am delighted to be joined by Rick Hamill today. Rick, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited about the conversation. Awesome. So, Rick, not only do I want to learn about your organization, Atlas, but I am fascinated to learn more about you. I know that you are the CEO But I also saw a very amazing distinguished award on your LinkedIn bio where you are the Ernst & Young 2021 Midwest Entrepreneur of the Year. So tell me about yourself. Tell me about how you got there and tell me a little bit more about anything else that's on your mind. Yeah. And by the way, very humble award. As an entrepreneur, you really get into business and you work your behind off and you want to make sure that you have some type of impact. And that's really important to me and even why I got into HR. So I'll start why I even got into HR and then to how we started the business and then that little overall journey. So I started because I wanted to help people. That is my foundation. Being able to really support and provide an impact to someone's life, it's really important to me. And so I've had situations when working with organizations where I needed HR to really and really needed to be my guide and really to make sure I'm making the right decisions and taking the right actions to be successful in business. And I felt like I had some really amazing leaders in my past from an HR perspective, and it really inspired me to make that a career opportunity for me. So, you know, I'd like to give a shout out if that makes sense to HR, because it's the ability to really support someone really kind of inspired me from that perspective. But how did we start Atlas? I think that was really important to me, which is I was part of a government contractor, as head of HR for a government contractor who spun up in Saudi Arabia, Singapore, and Japan, all easy countries to do business in immediately, right? Of course. I remember the first time we were told that we won this contract and I called my payroll provider and I said, I don't think I see Saudi Arabia on the drop down of how to add an employee. And their response was, we're not a global payroll provider. (laughs) We can't do that. So I had to learn like everyone else did. And just like any other leader, I being young and trying to naive a little bit from that perspective, I said, I'm going to Google it. And I tried to find a provider that could really provide the services I needed. I didn't have entities in given countries. I had to spin up really quickly because with government contracts, if you don't spin up and meet the government contract, you have to end up paying the government a penalty for that contract. And so I found a company who said they can do something like what I was needing. And I said, great. I presented to the CEO of that organization and we started to onboard employees. 
Well, little did I know in that process that it wasn't exactly what was sold to me. They said they were going to be the, the legal employer. What I later found out was they actually outsourced to third parties. But look, I figured out we had to get employees onboarded. Employees were being taken care of. So the first pay cycle I had with them, the employees weren't paid on time. We paid them, we followed the process, and employees didn't pay on time. So I remember that first month getting calls at two in the morning, three in the morning, asking where their payroll is. And then at nine o'clock in the morning, getting feedback from their spouses, why they couldn't pay their bills. So the employee experience was really bad. But I called the provider and said, this is unacceptable, but I understand this is the first cycle. It can't happen again. How do we make sure and guarantee this is not going to happen? They told us at that particular moment, they actually outsourced. They were not the provider. They were the middle person. And it continued to be a prolonged issue because they were that third party. Hmm. I finally went to that CEO and said, look, this is really impacting the employee morale. This is causing issues. They're also communicating to our client. We cannot continue to operate with them. We need to set up our own entities. The moment we set up our entities in those countries, we offboarded from that provider. But then we had a number of government contractors who came to us and said, we're having the same problem. Can we use your entities? Now, that was my aha moment to say, oh, a direct model can probably be more beneficial from that perspective. I left the organization about a year and a half, two years later, sold my house and took all my proceeds and started to invest into set up a business model that was really going to be more direct. Now, that sounds crazy and sounds risky, but I was very focused on how do we create a model that gives employers more flexibility, but also control from a partnership perspective, meaning you signed a contract with me, I have a vested interest to make sure it's done correctly and fully compliant. And so that direct model is really key to us. I remember when I set up that model, all of our competitors were saying, there's no way they can do it. No one's doing it that way. Now, eight years later, all of our competitors are trying to figure it out that way how to go direct, how to have more control and no longer go through that third-party outsource model. But the employee experience was the first thing that was really important to me. Being the client in the past and knowing how it impacted employees and my business, I wanted to create a model that was going to be more streamlined from that perspective. Once we did that and we started to grow the model, we then focused on process and procedures, learning how to do business in those countries. We learned how to onboard and offboard employees in France. We learned how to do pension payments in Brazil. We learned how to do money movement throughout Asia without having many penalties. And then we built our technology on that overall experience and how to do business in this country. So we didn't just build technology and then say, we're going to make it work. We really learned how to do business, build processes, and then build technology to make it a lot more simplistic. So now COVID comes around in 2020, and we've already had a lot of growth by that time, but now we had a platform that allowed companies to truly figure out how to expand their business, have flexibility to retain talent, or find the best talent around the world, and keep it simplistic. And that's what we do. Rick, there's so much in that story that I love. Let me tell you all the things that stood out. One, that you always focus, your harness, your core is the employee experience. And that someone not getting paid in a country that you've never stepped foot in is as impactful to the someone coming up to you and saying that, right? Like that was your solve and that was your aha moment. Then you went and did something that you call crazy. I didn't call it that. You sold your house (laughs) to go and use that capital to build this stream of how can I make it better? Not just for the people who are seeking that talent, but to make sure that we're meeting that talent where they need to be. And then lastly, I just love what you're saying around, hey, people were saying that doesn't make sense. No one can do it. 
you keep taking on challenges that seem insurmountable. And it's amazing the success that you were able to bring forward. So I want to pivot that into then the culture that you're building. How would you define Atlas's brand and day-to-day team culture, knowing that they have someone like you who's taking the charge of saying, if something's complex, if something's hard, let's not just solve, but let's solve for it in a way that's scalable and supports so many other people. Well, I always, when I'm having conversations with our leadership team and our employees, the first thing I always remind them is, what happens if we as an organization forgot to pay you? What happens if your benefits weren't aligned or you're not enrolled correctly? How would you want us to resolve that for you? And understanding how you want us to resolve is the same level of customer service and client service delivery that we need to provide to our clients. Because the most important thing, the most personal thing about what we do is our actions are really have an impact to someone's livelihood, how they receive their payroll, how benefits are enrolled or how they're supported from a benefits perspective. How do we make sure that we make that more simplistic? I keep getting back to the employee experience for a reason. Employees are the ones who are the foundations of many companies. And the one thing you never want an employee to worry about is pay or benefits. You want to make sure that it's something that you've contractually agreed to with the employee as part of their overall compensation package. And so when the company partners with us, we're just meeting that expectation. We're helping create and be part of that overall culture that they're looking to establish by being a competitive employer in that market. And so we have to think about how we make sure we simplify that. If you make it overcomplicated, if you delay processes or you delay anything, it's not really partnering with the client in their overall approach which can hinder how they actually expand into different markets because they have to make sure that they're retaining talent, that talent's not focused on issues, but they're focused on growing their business. And the client also to focus on what they do best, which is their business as well. So we, from a back-end perspective, contracting with us for compliance, payroll, benefits, and everything that they think is complex, we are managing that for them so they can focus on what they do best. In a way, and I don't know if anyone's ever addressed it to you this way, but you're almost operationalizing empathy right? (laughs) Saying, hey, if you were in their shoes, wouldn't you want to get paid on time? Wouldn't you want that level of respect of we said is the value that we're extending to you for providing your time, your service, your sacrifice. And as I shared before, I have been in the benefits space for nearly a decade. I've actually managed employees in over 24 different countries. And I know how simple that can be. (laughs) So how do you address especially with clients who are looking to go global through your organization to address the different time zones and the footprints and the culture within those countries that sometimes either impact or completely can directly impact the culture that they're trying to create within their organizations. How do you really move through those different pieces to make this a holistic solution? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that any organization has to take into account from that perspective. You know, first and foremost, we do not want to be just this American company trying to do it the American way. We have to respect that we operate in over 160 countries. We support 98 languages. We have offices all over the world. And we have to make sure that we can support culturally and locally from that perspective. So we have employees all over. We're a little over 500 employees around the world and the operational support. Our clients both have an account manager that's in their time zone. And then we have what they call an employee relationship coordinator that's in the time zone of the employee and the country of the employee who can speak the language, can support the employee in that time zone. So the employee says, hey, I have a question about my benefits or, hey, I've got a question where my pay slip is. That's something that they have a human factor, a human touch to be able to answer that question and not having to work on a U.S. time zone, especially when hot words are like 
work-life balance, making sure that employees have access to resources and to balance out kind of their workloads from that perspective. We basically have a model where we're servicing two customers. We're servicing the client who signed the contract with us and the worksite employee in that market as well. Yeah, I think that's truly interesting. Going back to some of even the benefits that you were talking about, Fringe, we're all about lifestyle benefits. And what we define lifestyle benefits to be are things that show up for you today, not when there's a critical need, like a medical emergency, or unfortunately, when you pass away, thinking about like pensions and things of that nature. So do you ever give advice to your clients when they're setting up of recommendations around what should be in place? Because it's one thing, like you said, to have a ethnocentric approach to something. If you're a company based in Germany, but you want to come to the US or vice versa, to be like, oh, whatever I'm giving my employees here, I just want to equate that over there. And you're like, well, (laughs) here's what I would recommend as best in class. Yeah, I think there's a difference between what's statutory and what's customary. And I think it's really important, depending on the type of employer that you want to be, um, what you're looking to offer. Now, in some cases, many countries have statutory benefits that are very good. (laughs) And so we don't want to discount that from that perspective. But to be a competitive employer, you have to understand what's customary and what employees are used to. I'll give an example from a U.S. perspective. If a company came to you and said, we don't have an entity, we're going to outsource to a third party. And that third party got on a call with you and said, we're going to give you no benefits. You know, you don't have to complete an I-9 form. You don't fill out your tax form. Just kind of give us your information and we'll make sure you get paid. That's not going to give a really good employee experience because they're used to certain things from an employer perspective, especially in the use of looking to medical, dental, vision, and a certain level of that and the detail behind that. So we build our structure or support from a benefit administration perspective based on what's customary and what's statutory. We present both to our clients and give recommendations on the type of employment, the employer that they want to be from that perspective. In addition to that, there's different levels for executive hires and entry-level hires as well. And so it's like, what are you looking to attract? Where do you want to be within the percentile? Do you want to be in the 50th percentile, the 70th percentile, the 95th percentile? What does that look like? And then we have a structure that we can kind of tie into based on all the plans that we have in place around the world. Well, it seems like you thought of a lot of things, (laughs) even things that maybe people aren't asking for, which is what I think is super interesting that sometimes we have to anticipate the needs of our people. So when you think about the 500 employees who are dispersed across the globe. You really have a chase the sun model for your organization. How do you make people feel included? How do you make people feel seen and heard? It's something that I actually quite often within the organization, that's your voice is very important. And if you don't talk less or you don't use your voice, then we are going to assume that we're doing it the right way and there's no room for improvement. So you've got to be comfortable in that. And many times I say, I'm taking my CEO hat off. We're going to have a conversation in this room and we're going to be colleagues and we're going to figure out how we can do this. In some cases, in some cultures, you got to repeat that multiple times because this notion sometimes with the CEO, it's, oh my God, it's the CEO, right? Where with us, we're like, look, I'm still Rick and I still want to make sure that I started this company and I want to make sure we can grow this company with certain foundation and criteria to make sure that we're setting up our employees for success. So a closed mouth doesn't get fed. And then we want to make sure that we're feeding you to grow and to be successful within the organization. Now, I've got a lot of Southern roots, <laughs> by the way. And so I use a lot of those for that, for those type of examples. The other one that I like to use, and it was actually the best advice I've ever gotten in my life. Now, it sounds bad, so I'm going to explain it when I say okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, if you think you're doing your best, do the best of someone better. 
And what that means is sometimes as humans, we are stuck in this box of what we think we can do. And I know there's, there's a lot of potential from that perspective. In the 50s, there was an experiment with mice and the doctors had put the mice in water and saw how fast they can tread water. And in 15 minutes, they started to sink and start to drown within the water. They pulled them out of the water, they dried them off, then about an hour later, they threw them back in the water. How long do you think they actually started to tread water again? Remember, 10 minutes they sunk. So after the second time, how long do you think they tread water? 15? 17 hours. 17 hours. And the reason why it's important to understand that is when you believe in yourself, you believe there's an opportunity to be successful, you are going to continue to push yourself to that limit. And that's an example of that. When they believed that they were going to be saved, they kept pushing because they thought they were going to be safe. So as leaders, it's our responsibility that we show that our teams and encourage our teams that, look, you're maybe at, you think you're at your limit, but we hired you because of your greatness. And we're empowering you to show you that what your full potential is going to be. But we as leaders got to bring that out of our staff and we got to push them to do that and show them really what it takes to be the best of someone better, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And actually, that's a really good dovetail into your values. So I saw that you have four company values. And what's interesting is in each of them, the word best is a main theme. So talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, you know, passion, diversity, you know, those are really important to me and kind of kind of what we think about. Be passionate. Everyone is going to be part of this. You are a part of one big company. We're one vision, one goal, one team. And so your voice is really important. We want to make sure that we hear. You may bring 100 ideas. We want you to be 100 passionate about those 100 ideas, even if we only go with 10 of them, right? Constantly bring that to the table. Always be your best. It gets back to what I just said, right? When you think you are doing your best, what's going to go outside the box? What's going to think outside the box? You know, what's the next best thing? How are you going to continue to elevate yourself and the organization and what you're doing and taking us to the next level? I think we're at the tip of the iceberg. There's so much we can do and how we transform what people or how companies think about global people management. You know, post-COVID, employers are thinking, okay, how do we retain talent? How do I find talent? And everyone's going to think outside the box. I like to compare ourselves, for example, to Uber. Uber didn't really change much. You still got picked up. You still got dropped off. You still paid a fare, okay? All they did was they simplified it through technology. Now, same thing with us. You still have to find your talent. You still have to pay your talent. You still have to be in compliance in the country, compliance with the country that you're operating in. And also in, God forbid, if something happens and you have to terminate the employee, you have to do it compliantly. What we've done is we've given opportunity, opportunity for companies, if it's small to mid-sized businesses to say, I can compete with the big boys. I can have an opportunity to expand my business organization that's made it simpler through technology and through their solutions. That's all we've done. We've simplified the ability. We've taken out the brick and mortar. We've built on an overall solution to say, now that small to mid-sized business has said, I'm not the Coca-Colas, I'm not the IBMs, I'm not the, I can't afford all of that global expansion. I can't afford $250,000 into expanding to China and wait 18 months of money I can't touch. I now can do that through an employer of record where now I can test a market, grow that market. If I need to set up an entity, I can still use the employer record to grow and then transition employees when I set up that entity when I'm ready to do so. I have an avenue to do it cost-effectively, and now I can compete with the big boys. I'm telling you, I wish we met three years ago. <laughs> well, keep us in mind. <laughs> oh, I definitely will. And that is not a plug at all. That is honest truth. So as we wind down, because this is a great conversation, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. 
what cultural characteristics of the Atlas team is most bragworthy? This is going to sound very biased. Okay. I think our team is the most passionate, the most intelligent, the most, just the most. They are awesome. We could not be who we are without our teams. Now we push our teams. We ask them to get things done. We are, our motto was get stuff done. <laughs> I mean, you've seen in my book, but we really could not be who we are today if it wasn't for our teams. They are an amazing team. The culture, because of our diversity within our organization, the fact that if you look at our organization, we're global and we look global. We feel global. We operate globally. That is very different than I see in a lot of competitors of our, a lot of global organizations as a whole. There are a lot, of, a lot of them are headquartered in one region, if it's US or Europe, but then they don't really have, they have service centers. We are putting leaders in these regions. Those leaders are sitting at the executive table, working with us to really support global expansion and simplification of global expansion. That's our team. That's what's bragworthy is no matter what I'm doing or our leadership team, it's the entire ecosystem that we have in the organization that makes us get things done. And that's what I'm excited. You are walking out what you talk about on your website and even through the conversation. So again, kudos to you. My last question, and then I promise I'll let you go. Maybe two more questions. <laughs> Knowing all you know now, what advice would you have told yourself starting on day one? Because you said you had that aha moment because you had that chafing experience, right? But I'm sure there were some valleys in what you were doing once you started Atlas and are continuing to operate it. So knowing all that you know now, those battle scars, what would you have said to yourself on day one when you started this business? You know, I started the business in my 20s. And so I wish I knew what I know now back then, as we always say. But there's a couple of things that I would say to myself, which is one, you're never born a CEO. Okay. You learn to be a CEO and a good CEO learns how to be a CEO every single day. Okay. There's no such thing as perfection. And there's no such thing as success without failures. And one thing that I think our clients can appreciate is we've had some failures as an organization and learning how to do business in different countries. The great thing about that is we've got the battle scars behind it. So our clients don't have to have them, but it lessons learned. We've had to really navigate. So what I tell myself is open your eyes, listen, and be prepared for a roller coaster because you were really changing the world and creating opportunities, not just for companies to expand their business, but opportunity for talent to really connect to employers they never would have had an opportunity to do so, which is really creating an equitable landscape in the world, which is very different in the last 10 years. And a truly global experience. Amazing. Well, Rick, again, we will definitely, once again, when I'm thinking about expanding globally, you will be the first call I make. But for those people who are ready today or just want to learn a little bit more about you, what's the best way that they can reach out to you? So a couple of ways they can go on our website, which is www.atlashxm.com. And then they can also look me up on LinkedIn under Rick Hamill, or you can just go to our website and just request a call. I'm happy, even as a CEO, I get on calls all the time. I am happy to support. That's what I'm passionate about, again, is helping people and looking at how we can simplify their ability and some of the trials and tribulations that I've been through and lessons learned and how I can support them to help navigate away from that. And you snuck it into our conversation. So I want to make sure I explicitly call it out. You also have a book. I do. I wrote a book called Getting Stuff Done. <laughs> it's a different word, but it's a memoir that I wrote during COVID. And I really want to figure out how 
there's a lot of things that I thought about, especially as a minority CEO, I really wanted to figure out how to show people that it's an opportunity. I think in the back of our heads, I was always raised to say, you have to work twice as hard. You have to do certain things. And some of those insecurities that you have being young and being a minority and global footprint, I had to learn how to get over that and had to learn to navigate that and learn how to be a better leader because of that. And so I talk about kind of that journey from starting the business in my kitchen and signing my first contract in my dining room table to now having entities in 163 countries, physical offices in over 20 and talent supporting around the world. There's a journey behind that. And I talk a little bit about that and hopefully it helps people behind that. It definitely will. And if they just want to download your thinking, they can purchase your book. (laughs) So awesome. Well, thank you again so much for your time. I know that everything that we've shared today will benefit our audience members. So hopefully you'll hear a lot soon. Thank you so much, Rick. Pleasure was mine. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us.